Welcome guys to the official prototyping podcast where we basically talk about everything to do with prototyping. And so in this season, you will learn about different aspects of the methodology, hear from different prototyping practitioners, and even see us try to make our own, all in the spirit of validating your idea with your own data. I'm Jonathan Sun. And I'm Robert Scrub. Our next guest needs no introduction. He is the creator of Exponentially, the first ever online prototyping course and official prototyping Slack community. He is one of the OG prototypers, and he's from the land of kangaroos, Vegemite, and box jellyfish. Please welcome <laughs> Leslie Barry. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, that's good, man. Thank you so much for, for having me here. I'm really excited about this podcast. It's about time we had a prototyping podcast, so well done to, to both of you for getting this going. And yeah, super excited to talk about all things prototyping. Yeah, thanks a bunch for being on. Um, but to kick things off, we'll have like kind of like a lighthearted question, which is, what do you think are some things about Australia that like a lot? What do you? What are some of the stereotypes about Australia that are like true, and which ones are like not as true? Okay, um, there, there's a few. Um, so one that is kangaroos all over the place. Um, and strangely enough, I've been in Australia about 13 years now. Um, there's 50 million kangaroos, but we live in the cities, so you hardly ever see them. So there's tons of them, but they're just not hopping around all over the place. Um, I think another thing that surprised me in Australia is it's way, way bigger than you think it is. So everyone underestimates their travel. Uh, the Australian landmass is the same as the US but we've got 25 million people clustered around three major cities and a few smaller ones. Um, so, so that people find quite surprising, I think. Um, and then another thing um, would be the weather is extreme. It's crazy. Like you'll have, <laughs> you'll have massive floods up in the Northeast and simultaneously you'll have everything burning down like in the South um, at the same time. So the weather's quite, dramatic so whoever settled the place was tenacious much like most countries and one last thing is we wouldn't be seeing dead drinking Foster's Lager so Foster's Lager is something that some clever person marketed to the US so that everyone could pretend that they're Australians <laughs> and it's a super friendly bunch of people so that, that's sort of my summary of Australia those are some things I've heard. I've always wanted to actually come and visit Australia. Like I've heard like the beaches in Australia are like some of the best in the world. It's like, it's, it's definitely on my bucket list. Yeah, magnificent place. It's beautiful. Um, all right, Robert, you want to kick off the prototyping questions? Yeah, so I had to get up myself on mute because I'm with my eight-year-old son who's also at school. So every so often, if you hear Miss Shields or Miss Aiken, then I have to kind of like go on mute for a little bit. So far, we've no, been right. handling it just fine. And you have your headphones on, I know. It's fine. So Leslie, a lot of people are going to be tuning into this podcast and still wondering in the back of their mind, what is prototyping? So uh -huh. could you give your version of what this word means and what it's all about? Absolutely. So I had this question around 2015 um, when I was running an, an innovation team to figure out how do we test ideas as fast as possible for the least amount of money? And there's, uh, what, we've got, what we know at the time was design thinking, lean startup, you know, experimentation, fail fast or die and all this kind of stuff. And what, what I was looking for was a way to rapidly test ideas and 
figure out what customers do versus what they say they do. Um, and this is where I discovered prototyping and bumped into Alberta, and I'm sure we'll touch on that later, the creative prototyping. So what is prototyping? The, the, the question always comes up is I'll go, like they go, what do you do, Leslie? I'll say, well, I help customers um, test business ideas at scale in enterprises um, and early stage innovators by measuring what customers do versus what they say. And they, and they say, how do you do that? And I say, prototyping. They say, don't you mean prototyping? And I go, no, I mean prototyping. So prototyping is trying to figure out, can we make this thing or can we do this thing? And the answer is, it's 2021, we can make everything. It's all virtually everything. What we need to figure out is, should we do this in the first place? And how do we figure that out as fast as possible by getting out the building in front of customers, whether it's virtually or in person, um, to measure what customers do. So prototyping is a set of rigorous, it's a rigorous, rigorous scientific process to figure out what are you trying to learn up front? How would you measure what good looks like? And what's the smallest possible experiment you can run to get in front of a customer to test and get a data point so that you know whether this is worth taking the next step in terms of validating business ideas. And what is prototyping ideally for? What situations would someone consider it? Um, what we're finding with customers, so we've run well over a thousand prototypes with various customers over the last three years um, from corporates through regulated industries right down to early stage startups. And it's for, if you um, identify a problem set for a customer and you have multiple possible solutions, how do you validate which possible solution um, is the right one for the customer to solve their problem? So if you know the problem and you know the solution, don't run experiments, don't prototype, just go and do it, go and execute. But if you're unsure what the solution could be, go and test it. Secondly, um, you need a risk appetite. So what we find, and my favorite line is, you'll talk to clients, especially enterprise clients, and, they, and everyone wants to test new ideas and everyone wants to innovate, but nobody wants to fail, nobody wants to take any risk and nobody wants to experiment. So my, I always say to them is like, everyone wants to innovate, but nobody likes change. Um, so if you have zero risk appetite and you think you know the answer to all the questions of what products and services your customers are going to love in the future, which is naive in my opinion, you're not going to use prototyping. You have to cross the barrier in your mind that you'd have to take small amounts of risk. But the way we do that is very much um, why prototyping has worked in practice with customers in the enterprise has been we... It's a rigorous process that reduces and mitigates risks. You don't want people to take risk unnecessarily and break stuff, but you want them, you want to give them enough leeway in a structured way that's measured that allows them to take risk in a, in a, in a bit of a controlled framework. And if I meander, please bring me back because I tend to do that a bit. So <laughs> it's totally all right. I would have done the same thing if I started getting started, I started talking about prototyping. So there is a risk appetite involved with the process. Have you found certain personalities are engineered towards prototyping? Do they, are they the kind of folks that are in certain disciplines or is it across the board in your experience? Um, it's been surprising. So if I have to generalize, I would say it's, you know, the innovators in the organization, which is a rounding error. It's normally half a percent of the organization. Because everyone else's job correctly is to execute the industrialized process to make the money, or as they should. 
but a part of the organization needs to be not doing that. But what we see is it'll be um, at a leadership level, anyone who's, who's like responsible for product or strategy or growth. Um, and then in the teams, it'll be product managers, service designers, um, customer facing people. Um, the people that resisted the most, most initially will be obviously risk and governance, legal, marketing, strangely enough, um, and the engineers. Like engineers are an interesting crowd because this is software engineers and people have to execute things and keep things stable because they all resist it rigorously or vigorously until they see that it works with evidence and then they become excellent prototypers because they believe the process and they can, they can do it in a structured way. Um, what I see, one more thing on that, what I see in the workshops is I always, if I run, I run these workshops of around 20 people to teach them how to prototype and, and, and actually execute them over a day or two. Um, and we always get like three or four innovators, a few product people. And then I deliberately, I insist on um, people from legal risk, governance, compliance, um, call centers, because they seem like people that would resist. But as soon as they see that this is structured and you're not gonna break stuff, they flip very quickly. And strangely enough, a lot of the innovation comes from there because those are the people that have been stuck in the bells of the organization with respect, who no one's been listening to. And they see all the problems. So they're able to surface that and, and embrace it. Sounds interesting. So when you first started on this journey for prototyping for yourself and decided to, to start exponentially, what kind of potential did you see in the market back then for this sort of approach? And how has that evolved to where we are today in 2021? Great question. So I've built a few startups in my time and um, failed at a lot of them. And the lesson I learned was, um, I, I know that I don't know. So once I figured out this, once I discovered this method with Alberto um, at the company I was working with, we executed it uh, inside the company for a year or two. And as I decided to step out and go do this full-time as a business, which was around 2017 and pretty risky because um, I didn't, no one knows what prototyping is. No one knows who the hell or cares who Leslie Barry is. I'm just a person. Um, and what is this new method? But at the time um, in the innovation ecosystem, we were at that sort of second phase. The first phase was Everyone hires a startup guy in the innovation team. Then they fire them every 18 months because they don't deliver returns quick enough. Then we create vertical accelerators. Then we create incubators inside. That also doesn't work. And it's going through this whole process. The second phase in my mind was um, clients getting savvy to go, hang on a second. We need a bit more structure around this. And the stuff that we're trying to do at the moment isn't working. And in my mind, this worked. It was gold. Um, so I caught up with Alberto Saboya. Um, we, he gave me access to his Stanford material. And to answer your question, the way exponentially started was, I just did it. I left, I, I stepped up my job and I thought, great. I was talking at a conference um, on experimentation and innovation. And I reframed my, um, my talk around prototyping without the conference people knowing because it was a prototype. So I just changed it. They can't stop you once you're talking. Um, and I sold one to an insurance company, one workshop, 
And what I mean by that was they called me in for a coffee and they said, we love this idea. How do you do it? And I, and I like, I wasn't expecting the coffee, by the way. So I said, oh, we run workshops. And so great. Uh, how long are the workshops? I go, two days. And I'm making it up based on a discussion with Alberta. And they said, when are you free? So I said, hold on, look at my diary. Nothing in my diary. Um, I'm in free in two weeks' time. And I, you know, created, I worked with Alberta to, to develop the workshop and we ran one. So we sold one. And then I thought, okay, there's something, yeah, but that's just the first result of the first experiment. And then I thought, okay, now I'm going to sell two and then three and then four. And then it just grew from there. So what happened was it wasn't completely random. I had the experience around doing it. I knew what I was doing. I knew how to sell it and communicate it. But the lesson I learned from startups was a mistake we make in the beginning is we try and we think too early about scale. Like how do we scale this? What happens when it becomes an Amazon? Like, that's BS. It's like, the problem isn't that. The problem is, how do you solve the first one? How do you solve the second one? How do you solve the third one? And over time, I listened to what the customers wanted and evolved, it evolved into what the business currently is. So if you were to kind of take a little bit of a crystal ball into 2021 and can forecast how you're going to be using prototyping into the future, um, what, are some, what are some hints that your instinct is telling you about? Um, this probably also ties into COVID-19. So what happened last year was with the lockdown, it, it completely disrupted my business model because it was in-person workshops and two-week sprints with customers to teach them how to do it, um, how to scale prototyping and experimentation. Um, so we quickly had to pivot to running those workshops um, remotely via Zoom, which we've all done. So it's not unique. Um, we quickly had to, luckily we'd built an, a, an internal tool, the Exponentially app, to manage experimentations at scale because it's, it's a tricky thing to do inside an organization. So we leverage that quickly um, and figure out how to get the rigor of and the discipline of experimentation. We also built out an online training course to, to scale the training. And the reason I'm telling you that is not to sell it to you, but 2021 is... Um, the opportunity is to scale that out with more clients. The challenge is, I think the challenge for a COVID environment is selling to new customers. So customers are getting bombarded currently with LinkedIn, with video, with all sorts of things, um, because that's how we can get to them. But that in-person relationship-based selling, I think is going to be, be tricky. So that's the business side. From a customer perspective, um, I attended the Lean Innovators Educator Summit um, with Steve Blank and Jerry Engel um, just before Christmas. And there were 500 educators from around the world in that. And the quote that st stood out there for me was, I can't remember who said it, and I'd like to give them credit, and we can probably do it in the show notes afterwards, but um, was the beauty of COVID-19, if there's a good takeaway, is everyone's experienced a disruption in product market fit um, which I thought was really powerful because everyone's experienced disruption. So as innovators and experimenters, we know experimentation works. We know everyone should be doing this. It's, it's a no-brainer. It's bewildering that more companies aren't doing this. So I think the opportunity for prototyping and experimentation and lean startup and all the work that's getting done in the space is um, customers suddenly realize, hang on a second, 
all the data and information we had about our customers based on market research up until the beginning of 2020 is now almost not valid anymore because customers are behaving completely differently. So we have to go and retest and re-experiment. So I think the opportunity for customers is quickly get out there and experiment, test, and figure out what your customers want and how they behave. Sorry, our customers and their customers. And the opportunity for us is to help them do that. Yeah, I think the experimentation aspect of what you're talking about is probably going to be pretty relevant. I mean, in contrast to what you're talking about with in-person workshops, I was doing virtual workshops to begin with. So my wow. problem was at, at the complete opposite end where I had all of these inquiries that February, March going, we needed to transform our business. We don't know what to do. Our revenue models are shot. We have to figure yes. out a new way of kind of going about things. And I had some answers for some people and other, other ones I said, well, I know somebody else you should talk to. But I would mm -hmm. gather from March until June, it was nonstop. It, it, it literally, I almost yeah. had to cancel a, uh, an online conference because of it. Um, but yeah, now that it's finally settled down and people get the sense that we're some turning this huge round corner, uh, mm -hmm. the in-person option may come about. But in a way, and I'd like to ask you, this will be my, my last question before I bring it over to Jonathan. Um, <clears throat> I've been reading articles and hearing people saying that the work model has changed fundamentally across the world, where it is no longer actually critical for people to meet face-to-face -to, -face to get work done. That mm -hmm. if, if, depending on the type of work you do, you have a, now have an option that's more economically affordable for businesses, it's more viable for workers, that you can leverage these technologies now and we have this huge uh, kind of shared experience around how mm -hmm. to do it and what not to do. Mm -hmm. Do you think that even though we're gonna be all vaccinated someday, hopefully by the end of the year, that that dynamic is going to fundamentally change how we do business and how we go about prototyping? That's a good question. Um, so a few things. Uh, I think we're a long way from this being over. So I don't want to sound pessimistic, but I think the reality, if you look at the numbers, we have to vaccinate 7 billion people twice um, and make, manufacture that. So that's a few years. Um, being vaccinated doesn't stop you from infecting other people. So wherever you're traveling to has to be fully vaccinated as well. Otherwise, you're a risk to them. And we're not behaving well. So what Australia, I'll come back to your question, but what Australia did really well was they locked us down hard. We had one of the harshest lockdowns in Melbourne and Australia where I'm um, in the world. And we went from 700 cases a day, which is laughable compared to what's going on in, in your country, uh, sadly. Um, from 700 cases a day, lockdown for 111 days down to 60 day, six days of zero cases. So it works. Lockdowns work, contact tracing work, masks work. Um, so we, we need to, we, we don't behave well. So fast forward to, to your question. I'm, uh, I, live in, so I live in the city and my view is all these office buildings that have been empty for nearly a year now. So I think fundamentally, yes, things are going to shift. Uh, I also think humans are creatures of habit and we're optimistic and we forget very quickly. So as soon as we're allowed to go and play again, we're going to go and play as hard as we can. Um, but from a work point of view, I think we're going to end up with a blended model. So there's some things that, and, and, and the dollar drives every conversation and every decision. So there's some things that make a lot of sense. So will I fly to another city for a one hour meeting with a customer? No, 
I don't think that's going to happen again. I think that's going to fade away. Um, but well, can we do transactional work? Absolutely. Can we do knowledge work? Absolutely. Can we do what we're doing right now in three different countries? Absolutely. But what's missing is in our, in our space, there's a, there's a bit of, I hate the word like synergy, but there's a bit of this, this um, um, spontaneity and synergy and um, feeding off each other in the early stage of ideation and experimentation that's very very important to have other human beings in the room i think when you get onto a zoom kind of thing you get very transactional we get in we do our thing and we exit we exit um and you lose that spontaneous sort of brainstorming kind of effect and creating ideas and sparking ideas there's ways to do it of course i don't think it's as effective so I think there's a component of a day or two of rubbing up against each other and socializing and learning from each other in, in a, like a organic way. And there's a way to do this. But fundamentally, in summary, I think it'll shift. I think where before we had probably 20% of this happening, I think it'll go to maybe 50%. And in terms, sorry, the second part of your question was around will it change pre-detyping experimentation? 100%. Like we have been able to execute, we've had two customers, two large customers over the last year. We've been able to execute 123, I think, experiments um, on real world things virtually because there's very smart ways to do it. And the customers have now been trained that this is a normal way to do things. I agree. Jonathan, what do you got for our, for our guest, Leslie Berry? Um, yeah, I mean, um, kind of when you were talking about, you know, just, uh, you know, hard lockdowns first off, I mean, sometimes like, I think uh, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because like, you know, sometimes like, um, sometimes like, I think like when I get like new lockdown announcements, especially announced in the UK, where I mean, admittedly things in a global context, like aren't as sharp or i guess aren't as hard as like a lot of the other countries around but then like i guess when i get when we get like new restrictions announced like i always like half the time i go on google like all right which which countries have it worse just to make myself feel a little bit better and then like usually at the top of the list is either australia or ireland and then i go through yeah. kind of like the rules that you guys have and i'm like okay i feel a little bit better about myself yeah yeah <laughs> you got it easy <laughs> a little bit easier um yeah. but I'd like to take you, I'd like to take you back to actually um, kind of like, you know, when we were talking about earlier about the story about how you met Alberto, because I know that like, I think you went through a, you went through a fairly, like, you know, Alberto kind of made you jump, jump through some hoops and, you know, you kind of had to put some effort, you know, to be able to meet him. So tell us kind of like the story about like how um, Alberto finally agreed to uh, sit down, meet with you and work together with you. Sure. No problem. Um, so for context, for anyone who's listening, um, Alberto Savoya um, is the creator um, of Predetyping. Um, they um, put it together at Google when they were trying to solve this problem of rapid validation, Alberto and a team. Um, he's since been teaching it at Stanford University. He's written a book on it, The Right It, which you can pick up. Um, he, he launched that in 2019. And I've been working with him since 2015. But it's a good story because I... Um, had to, I was in full hustle mode. So um, I discovered this method and I really wanted to learn how to do it in 2015. And if you know Alberto, he's like, he's an engineer. He's very single-minded and protective of his time. And he wants to do, and he executes well in what he does. 
So I found him up. We, were, we happened to be going to San Francisco um, later that year um, for CES, I think it was, Consumer Electronics Show with my team. And I phoned him and I said, hey, Alberto, I've seen this prototyping thing in your little booklet, your PDF. Can you teach us how to do this um, for a day? We'll pay you for your time. So he said, no, I don't know who you are. Go away. I'm preparing for Stanford. I'm like, okay, great answer. No problem. I'll find you tomorrow. And he said, I said, no. I said, okay, awesome. I'll find you tomorrow. Um, so the next day I phoned him back and I said, Alberta, it's me again. I'm not going to go away. Um, I really want you to teach us. Give me a number and we'll pay you to teach us. And he said, well, I actually, I looked you up on LinkedIn and you sort of know what you're doing in that. So if you can be, yeah, on this date and um, sort of, yes, my fee, um, we'll do it. So I said, done. Okay, we'll do it. So it was really good. So we flew up, um, spent a day with him. He taught us through the method and everything. And we were just hooked from that moment on and we brought it back and did it. But it was really part of the startup gene, startup hustle gene that I've got, which is start at the top and know it's just their first offer and you wear them down until they say yes. Like you did to me, Jonathan. I know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, do you do you think I do you think I, I do you think I wore you down enough? <laughs> you didn't, but you were persistent, which is great. I love it. That's how you get through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lesson learned for anybody listening. Um, and yeah. kind of going off of that, using good adjectives only. Um, how would you describe like how would you describe Alberto's personality? Um, he's he's interesting. He's he's an engineer. So he's very precise. So what an, an answer, a way to describe his personality is this. Um, I got him on call to one of my clients who's a very senior leader at university. And we're talking about risk and prototyping and things. And he's done this a few times in the Slack channel too, which is like someone will ask a question and you gotta say, that's a general answer. That's a general question. So I'll give you a general answer. If you give me a precise question, I'll give you a precise answer. And that's the best way to describe him. Um, he's He's persistent, he's smart, he thinks deeply. Um, I'm not trying to blow too much smoke here, um, but um, he's very convinced and convincing about this method because it works. And the reason um, people uh, start using prototyping is because as he says, I can't not not work. It's, it's just math. You just, you do it, you execute. And if it's not math based, Alberto is not interested. But he's great. I, I mean, he's massively supportive of everything we're doing. I remember that you gave that answer to actually somebody within our prototyping Slack community. I think somebody like asked a while back, it was like, um, when do you think like prototyping doesn't work? And then like, yes, I remember you answered, you know, prototyping can't not not work. And I had to like, <laughs> and I had to try to wrap my mind around like, is it like, it's a triple negative. So it doesn't mean yeah. that it can, so it doesn't mean it can't work or doesn't mean it can't not work. Of course, we all, yeah. we all know what it means. Like no matter what happens, prototyping always works because even if you completely like, you know, butcher your experiment and get zero skin in the game, you've proved that your idea doesn't have any, um, nobody wants your idea and you can go on, move on to like kind of like the next project. Or you've, or you've proved that you don't have enough information to think through your idea in a clear way which is great. So you're not skipping over the deep thinking step of figuring out what am I actually trying to learn with these customers rather than just rushing to get in front of customers. Right, exactly. Mm. Um, and so kind of going off of that, um, you know, um, having, having read through a lot of the dialogue that you've had with a lot of the members of the, of the prototyping community, um, 
what are some of the mo- like what are some of the most memorable interactions you remember or like just or just problems that people have proposed within the prototyping slack community that um you'd like to share with us well to touch on the slack community it's been really valuable so i've been shouting down an echo chamber for three years now in australia working with our customers and I've tried LinkedIn, and I see Robert's successfully got a LinkedIn channel up and running. But I've tried LinkedIn, Facebook, um, like forums for years now to try and get something going, and it just didn't land. And the reason it didn't land was because you needed, like, the nature of experimentation is actually your strategic projects going forward, and you don't necessarily want to share those with, with, the, with the broad audience, okay? So how do you ask questions? How do you create community around that? And why Slack worked initially was Slack creates, it's not the ideal tool, but it creates a trusted environment that's peer validated of real people not talking nonsense and and trolling each other. Um, So that worked well. And it's been a huge learning experience for me um, because a lot of the things, I've been doing this so long now that I make assumptions around what people understand. So there was a huge discussion around the XYZ hypothesis. What is it? How do you frame it? How do you word it? Bearing in mind, a lot of people just jump in and go like, hey, he has an idea, but they haven't read the books. They don't know what prototyping is or done the course. And we gently nudge them back to go to the course just so you can learn or go to the book or chat to one of us. So it's helped ask the hard questions like, that's great. We get it in theory, but specifically, what is this thing? How do I test this thing? And Alberta did a bunch of videos around that. Um, other discussions that have been valuable have been around that's great, but give us very specific examples of how would I run this thing or how would I test this thing? And I love, there's a member in there, um, Sabelle, who was one of our first certified prototypers. And she's like, she's in Canada and she's embraced this fully. So she's made a little video of like, this is my prototype and what does the community think? So the, if I zoom out, what's been amazing has been how many people there are of caliber that are really thinking deeply about experimentation, um, how supportive they are of each other, and how open people are counterintuitively to me. Some data versus opinion. My opinion was people don't want to share, and the story I told you up front, the data is people absolutely will share in a trusted environment because we're learning from each other. And once you get over the barrier of, I have to protect my idea because someone's going to steal it, um, and you put it out there, like nobody's going to steal it because nobody's got your passion and nobody's going, nobody wants to execute it with the passion and capability and, and, and resources you have. So that's been really interesting to see. So um, yeah, that would be sort of the highlights out of what I took from the Slack group. I really, I'm really enjoying the, the cut and thrust and that people feel, and you and Robert um, are, are great at this, to tr- challenge very hard all the assumptions that we're making and be direct with people. Like we all there's too much fluff going on. We say, oh, that's an awesome idea. It's like, no, it's like, if the customer doesn't want it, it's not an awesome idea. It doesn't matter. You know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's crazy to mention that. It's almost like, and I don't know how Robert feels, but at least me personally, I kind of, it's almost like in a sense you get, I get, uh, I get almost like satisfaction out of like, you know, being able to like, you know, um, critically, you know, challenge people on their ideas yes. because it's almost like, you know, I remember people doing that to me, you know, when I was like, you know, a newbie founder. And then now, like, you know, I've learned a lot about prototyping and I've gotten enough knowledge to the point where I get to do that to other people. And it's just like, kind of like, almost like, 
um it's almost like what i call it. it's like a jedi moment where it's just like you've That's leveled a- up <laughs> you've leveled up to the point where like now you can like t- you can start poking holes at other people's ideas and you almost feel like for like at least two seconds you feel like jason kalankis you feel like this top-notch <laughs> angel investor <laughs> you feel like you can just tell anybody what to do even though you can then you come back down to earth and it's like i'm still building out my career we're all in this together um yeah yeah but uh and I love how you brought up Saibo because Saibo is actually our first guest on this podcast. Um, And she talked about the, um, she talked about, I think the prototype that she built at home. So she, she was able to go in depth with it. And, uh, and it was, it was really awesome to hear her, you know, kind of, kind of go in depth with like her, her prototype and like how she's kind of like set her own X, Y, Z hypothesis with it. And, um, yeah, it was really, really, it was, it was cool to hear from her. So, um, you'll, you'll get to hear her episode soon. Um, great stuff. Look forward to it. Yeah. So I guess probably, um, one last question from my end before we go on to the next segment is like, kind of like, what do you, um, even though prototyping has been like, kind of like progress, it has, has, has made a lot of head, head headwind and, you know, a lot more people are knowing about prototyping the vast majority of the world and the startup world doesn't understand what prototyping is, particularly around mm. in, mm. at least from my point of view, particularly around Europe, right? Um, yeah. You know, Europe is definitely a region that a lot of people see as being kind of slow to adapt certain ideologies. What do you think is kind of like the challenge, uh, um, the challenge to get, what do you think is the biggest challenge in order to get prototyping to like a much more mainstream mentality, almost to like, you know, lean startup kind of levels of popularity? An excellent question. It's one of those hidden gems that um, when people discover it, I'm not saying this because I do it for, for a living. I do it for a living because people have reacted to it this way. Once they see it, they can't unsee it. So when it's magical when you run a workshop, you do training, like people come in skeptical and they leave, they leave as evangelists, not because I'm awesome, but because it just works and it makes sense. Okay. And it's bewildering to me that more people don't know about it, but I think it's, it boils down to just community and marketing. I think the lean, uh, Eric recent lean startup and Barry Rowley was unlearn and the design thinking crew and ThoughtWorks of Agile and all these companies have been really good at, at building a community and marketing around this and driving it really hard. And I think it's, it's just more of the same. I've seen more growth in um, the community and it's been sort of surfaced in the last three or four months, specifically with the work that you two are doing um, around the, 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 the design sprints that Robert's doing, the work that you're doing, Jonathan, the LinkedIn groups, the Slack channels. It sounds simple, but that Slack channel has gone from zero to 220 people, which is not a lot by internet scale, but in four months, the LinkedIn groups got 200 and something people in it. And all those people know people who know people. And as more people start using it and evidencing it and getting educated on it, it grows like crazy. Um, Alberta's book, of course, helps because that spreads the word, but it's just more of the same. It's like just, we have to tell more people about it. We have to show more people that it works and create evidence um, and let it go. Uh, you know, failing a marketing budget of a few million dollars, getting the word out there, it's very difficult to to get this out there. And a podcast like this, of course, helps. Yeah. We're, 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 carpet we're, bombing. We have to carpet bomb everybody with everything, like podcast videos, design sprints, prototypes, training, just tell everyone. <laughs> 
we're really hoping this podcast blows up. I mean, it might not even be a secret. I mean, Robert Robert knows it too, but we really want this podcast to blow up. Like, we're hoping that, yeah. like, once you release the first uh, first few episodes, that, like, you, Alberto, almost everybody on the prototyping uh, Slack channel gives a review, blasts on their LinkedIn channel, and, like, like really, really, like, t- uh, uses this as, like, kind of like a platform to, like, get even more people knowing about prototyping than before. Well, one thing I am doing is treating this, uh, treating this entire experiment like a prototype. So that the the idea is is that we're seeing the skin of the game that we're going to look for is subscriptions. People actually yeah. subscribe to the podcast looking for more episodes. So we can be yeah. enthusiastic and and really uh, gung ho about this. But what does the market think? And we alluded that to that in a recording earlier today. It's like okay. You want to you want to see more of what we're going to be doing in the future with prototyping and bringing guests on and even experimenting ourselves. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button, and that'll be our yes. kind of like test to see if we can get those ten people or that ten percent that we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. That's spot on. And words of wisdom. It's like every single thing is a prototype, like including what we're doing right now. The reason why I asked the question before about who's more uh, aligned with prototyping is because I saw the same thing happen with design sprints. There were certain people that aligned with the process that became its evangelists or were able to showcase the return on investment of kind of getting involved with that, how it basically could change the dynamics of how people go about doing work. And I kind of have a feeling that prototyping is the same way in that there's certain particular people like myself and like Jonathan and others that once we know about it and we can do it, then we've set the example for others and how it gets done. And then mm-hmm. by, the, by that, we find evangelists. When you've done mm-hmm. client work in the past, Leslie, have you experienced this dynamic where you're the person who's the, who's the authority on prototyping in the, in the room along with your staff? How do you find when what what do you discover when people go through this process and come up to you later on and say hey i'm really interested in this do they have a certain dynamic to them are they do they have like a certain outlook on things or is it across the board um that's another good question so i learned a valuable lesson so when i started the business i was going prototyping 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 everything else is junk very bad way to sell anything um so what I realized very quickly, or slowly, so a year in, I realized that I was losing the, when I started the workshop, there's, there, there's, out of 20 people, I'd say six of them were leaning forward interested, 15 were leaning back with their arms folded, looking at me very skeptically, because their, their boss had forced them into this thing. And when I dug into that a bit, um, I realized very quickly, I wasn't positioning prototyping as a way to accelerate your current process. I was positioning it as extra work and something else that you have to do on top of what you're currently doing and a replacement process. So when I repositioned it to go and acknowledge, so people come into the room with a set of skills. So they're design thinkers, they're human design experts, they're customer specialists, they're marketing experts. They've done market research their whole life the traditional way. And what you're doing is you're confronting that and you're going like, that's wrong. This is the better way to do it. When I flipped that around to go, which is true, like all those things are valuable, but they're valuable in context. So if, you, if you're if you discovering problems, use this method. If you, you, you're exploring potential solutions, use this method. But when you're testing, how are you testing? If you currently have a way to test with customers to get data, go and do that. That's great. If you don't, 
Here's a way to test faster. And that small shift in approach completely changes the dynamic in the room. So that was one thing I learned, um, which is important. To directly answer your question, I think um, the, the people that are coming to me afterwards are uh, where the penny has dropped or people that have been hunting, people that have, people know that what they're doing is potentially not working, but they do it because it's their day job and they have to do it, okay? And when you present them with an alternative and then and they go, ah, this may be a way to get better results faster for my day job, those people convert very quickly. Um, so like yourselves, design thinkers convert, not convert, it sounds like a religion, but design thinkers um, uh, will adopt this approach and integrate it into their business very quickly. Um, as I said, product people, absolutely. Um, marketing, uh, market research people that have been traditionally going, and there's, there's value in this, like discovering how people think, but the way we validate products is like, we used to do this terribly at the one company, we go, um, come to the pub, we'll give you um, $100 and some free beer and we'll show you our product. What do you think of our product? And they go, we love your product. No, they don't. They love free beer and $100. And then we take that back and we go 64% of our customers love our product. Like the, so the, so the, the people whose job it was to do that stuff inside the organization weren't comfortable that it was a good way to validate. So that's probably the best, it's a bit fuzzy, but it's the best answer I can give you. That works for me. <clears throat> so let's say I am uh, Joe Smith and I have just picked up the right it. And I am venturing out into prototyping, or at least I'm, I'm trying to see how it fits into my current tool set. Yeah. If you had a beginner's kind of checklist of how someone can properly understand and be able to practice prototyping as a beginner, what are yeah. some initial stages or initial uh, tips, I guess you could say, that you would give someone who is just starting out with this? Okay, good question. So um, there's a lot of resources, but the way I think about this is there's a few things we have to solve for beginners. First of all, what is prototyping? Secondly, how do I practically do prototyping? Thirdly, how does it fit into, so if it's an enterprise customer, if Joe works for a company, how does this fit into my day job? Or if Joe's an entrepreneur, then how can I use this on my startup idea? And then the next step would be, how do I do this consistently at scale? So that's the problems we're trying to solve. So what Joe would do is pick up the book, read the right it, get all enthusiastic because Alberto's style is fantastic and <laughs> he gives good examples. Um, and then I would encourage Joe to do one, not overthink it, just run an experiment. And doesn't have to be, the, the beauty of an experiment, it doesn't have to be perfect. All you have to do is as Steve Blank says many years ago, get out of the building, yeah, and um, Paul Graham. Um, all you have to do is do one. So take the book, and because what we do often is we read the thing, go, that's awesome, but not actually practice it. So get it, just run and run a prototype with anything, like make something up and go and run an experiment. You'll realize very quickly that you don't know how to run an experiment because as Alberto says, and this is why we work so well together, the, the book will tell you what it is and some examples, um, what I'm, what, what I'm teaching practically is how to do that and how to execute it. So the reason I've, I built the online course was to 
scale out the how, like how do we actually run a prototype? What does it look like? So I would go and figure out how to run one and you can do the course. If you don't want to do the course, there's a ton of online um, material available. Robert, you probably can drop your links in the, in the podcast notes, but you've got a bunch of stuff that you've done which talks through it. Um, Alberto's got um, an online channel talking through specifically how to run prototypes and different questions you've got. So there's some free resources there. Um, on my site, exponentially.com, there's a bunch of free resources there on how to run this. Um, and then Joe would probably have to answer the next question, which is, I want to do this at work. How do I convince my boss? Um, at that point, you probably need to bring in the big guns, which is one of us, to, to help have the conversation at, a, at an executive level to um, figure out how does this fit in with your process? Um, and then Joe would also have to figure out how to run this at scale because that gets complicated very quickly. Okay, just making sure I'm on, not on mute. <clears throat> so with that, that those all sound really great. Um, but w w let's say someone, and this happened recently with me in a, in a, um, mm. in a workshop, let's say that part of your audience is not oriented towards a sales-based prototype. Maybe they're looking to understand the desirability of a feature from an existing mm -hmm. uh, user base. Mm -hmm. How have you seen prototypes be executed in a non-sales way, like in a, in some yeah. in some other fashion? Sure. Um, can we can I talk about an enterprise or is that a please do like a corporate? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so. We've, we've done this a lot with our clients where the majority of what customers really do in innovation is continuous improvement around products, feature sets. Um, very few companies or, or a low percentage of what they're doing is actually out there kind of horizon two, horizon three stuff. Um, so what they would do is go like, let's say we want to offer a customer or take away a feature off, let's say we offer a new reporting feature to a customer. So, um, in the call center, people are finding, you know, I wish I could click a button and get ABC report. And one way to do it is to go and build it. Another way to do it is we get them to use an AB testing tool or to pop up a button on a website saying, um, download ABC report as an example, which would be a feature um, test. When they click the button, we measure that's the skin in the game. The report doesn't exist. We measure, the, we measure the response and we can get back to them. We can either manually, so in the corporate space, what we would do is we'd do a mechanical Turk prototype and manually send them reports to make sure the report is there. So we're not lying to the customer, we're deceiving them, we're fulfilling it, but to contain that to like 100 people and we measure 100 people clicking that button because that's the point of intent. If it makes sense, the, 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 the thing we have to do very carefully is context absolutely matters. So we have to be really careful where you put that, that it's in the person, in the user's workflow, and it's a natural extension of the workflow and it's the place they would find that. So we spend a lot of work figuring out what that looks like. Um, and, and maybe um, you gave me a general question. Maybe if you give me an example that's more specific, I can talk through how we would do that. But that's typically how we would do, we would do that. We'd inject something into the existing user's workflow as an experiment to measure if it's something they want to execute. And we do it a lot with features, new features. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, so let's say someone is looking to 
add a new feature to an existing user yeah. who has a membership. And they want to, under, to know if they place it in a certain place in a workflow or in a donation kind of by flow or whatever it, it may be, mm. that mm. this it not only is it going to attract their attention, but the, the one click through or the commitment to add it onto their, their um, what would you say, their membership for a particular fee or to just for mm. some sort of opt-in, they looked at it from a traffic perspective, like analytics, but they also tracked whether or not somebody clicked the button. And then they would just do like a lot of optimization. But in that way, there's still there's still intention commerce involved with that particular transaction that does affect the business. It's just not yeah. an outright, pur outright, pur outright purchase. So what you're describing yeah. is essentially the same thing. Yes, um, exactly that. So we've got, uh, we've done a lot of work with um, a with a client, I don't want to mention who the client is, but they were testing um, a, a new service that was around health and well-being for their customer base or the user base. Um, so we simulated a chatbot because there was a lot of chatter. So what you're trying to do, there's a few things you said that are really important. Like, first of all, like if you have data where you know customers want it, then just make it. But if you don't, like, the, you get into these endless debates around on this cluttered page, we've got this one piece of property that people land on and we know that it's trafficked, we know it's the right customer, we know it's the right type of customer and we want to measure this additional behavior. So do we make it a button, do we make it a red button or a yellow button, which is just A-B testing or do we add a chatbot or is it a menu link, whatever? And the answer is yes. Like if you don't know, test all those things. So week one, add an extra link. Week two, add a button. Week three, simulate a chatbot that, that then allows you, chatbots are fantastic for prototyping, that allows you to test multiple things. But what you don't do is test how much traffic goes to the website. Or, and you also don't do how many people click on the chatbot. What you do is how many people interact with the chatbot with two or three interactions. So you know they're actually getting drawn into the value proposition and then you're able to test it. So, that, so in, in that case, that's how we do it. The trick is do it in a way that is real. So this is not an intentional, this is not a, would you like one, one of these things? Because then you're getting an opinion. It's like, this is a real thing. Engage with it. If they engage and you, the measure makes sense and passes your XYZ, your hypothesis, um, then you learn um, what the next step is. So could you get in a little, then we're, we're closing out our, our session, but I'd like to, to remark a little bit on exponentially and uh, what your business does and what it's all about and where they can go to find out more. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So what exponentially is, is we um, help customers test business ideas using prototyping. And we do a few things. So we figure out, we help you understand what prototyping is. The way we do that is we run um, two-day workshops remotely at the moment um, for teams of up to 20 um, to teach you uh, what prototyping is, the basics of it, um, how to execute it. And you leave there having executed real-world prototypes um, using our Exponentially app, which is a tool that we use um, to run experiments and track experiments. We then follow that up with a two-week um, rapid experimentation sprint, a one or two-week, we can customize that, which is working with your teams 
um, to teach you on your actual ideas and projects how to run these prototypes. And once again, we use the Exponentially app to, to do that. Um, we also offer online training. So um, that's an online training course. It's about probably six hours of content. It takes two to three weeks to complete um, where we'll teach you how to do this. So it's effectively an online workshop that's condensed into this. Um, we, you will end with building prototypes, a live prototype inside the Exponential app. You get full support on the Slack channel and get plugged into that. Um, and we'll do an assessment and, and help you um, with your first prototype and get that up and running. At the end of that, we've got a prototyping certification to become a certified prototyper. And um, over and above that, we do um, consulting around this early stage experimentation process as a business. So how do you set this up? How do you embed it? Because at an enterprise level, how do you scale this consistently and make this part of the way you execute experiments in your business over for perpetuity yeah, in the future? So that's effectively what we do as a business. Um, just to add to that, sorry. Um, just to add to that, we've done this with about 35 um, tier one companies in Australia, Singapore, and the US. Um, we've trained about 800 prototypers so far. So uh, we've got a lot of experience doing this across all industries. So we've done this in mixed reality, um, financial services, startups, accelerators, um, insurance, it works everywhere. And do you have any particular events coming up in February or March that you'd like to kind of plug? Anything that you want people to know about beyond uh, your prototyping course that you're currently doing? Um, nothing specifically. Most of the work is for um, private customers at the moment. So no public facing events. We haven't ramped it up yet. Um, that's the next prototype. I think you're doing a lot more of that than I am at the moment. Um, but if you want to find out anything more, just go to exponentially.com um, and you can learn all about what we're doing at the moment. And a big, a big shout out to absolutely, if you want to get very quick value, just join the prototyping Slack channel. We'll drop the link into the show notes for that too. You'll get a huge amount of value with some smart people. You get a lot of us hanging around. And uh, <laughs> you're, you, it's at a good point too, because there's a lot of questions going around, um, yeah. as well as some some encouragement around people to do experiments, especially if they're gun shy around doing them. So yeah, yeah. If, you, if you ever had a curiosity about it, it's a perfect time to kind of get involved. Jonathan, you want to uh, close it out with any kind of particular thing you want to do? Any questions? Have you um, done any prototypes in your Have you done any prototypes in your own life um, so far? Have you like uh, What's the latest prototype you've done for yourself? Um, we wanted to buy some furniture, um, so what we did was we got some boxes, which have plenty of, with online shopping. And we measured out the furniture, the size of what the furniture would look like. We put the boxes in the place of where the furniture would be, and we lived with that for a while. So that was a prototype. Um, I wanted to. I'm, I'm I'm quite impulsive in terms of buying new things, so I wanted to buy something um, new for my office. I did the same thing: create the space, simulate what I'm doing. So I do that kind of thing. We're thinking of moving. Um, interstate potentially over the next year. So instead of just just buying something, we're going to Airbnb for two or three months and prototype what it feels like to live in a new place. Um, so we do that. We we prototype everything. My wife is is a is a 
is a born prototyper. She gets it. <laughs> this was our episode with Leslie Barry. Um, thanks for being on our show. And uh, remember, audience, fail Ferrari fast, McDonald's cheap.